Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Prince's music challenges genres. It's never just one thing. It's not pop. It's not soul or rock. But it is funky. So throughout Prince's career, journalists often asked him to define funk, to explain it in his own words. What exactly makes a song funky? Sometimes he would respond with the names of other musicians and singers, like saxophone player Maceo Parker. At other times, he would say something like, well, if you can describe it, it ain't funky. But Prince's desire to name this ineffable but unmistakable force at the core of his music to put the meaning of the funk down on paper, consumed him in what turned out to be his final years, according to Dan Pipenbring, the editor of Prince's posthumous memoir, The Beautiful Ones. Prince says this of the funk in his memoir, quote, truly funky singers actually sound like they're singing in everyday conversation. Look at an interview with some of the greats. You know the names. If you feel like dancing while they're just talking, that's funk, end quote. But to really understand the funk, you had to see Prince. Prince was at his funkiest, his most indescribable, when he was on stage. I've seen him perform three times, but it still doesn't feel like enough. I saw him twice in New Orleans, where I went to college, and once in my hometown of Nashville. My first concert was in 1998. It was the Jam of the Year tour. I remember trying to be so cool about it because I didn't want to put the fan in Fanatic, but I was so excited. My college boyfriend at the time had gotten tickets in the nosebleeds. I didn't want to appear ungrateful, but I wanted to be up close. I wanted to see Prince, and I wanted him to see me. For years, I'd fantasized about the possibility of Prince bringing me on stage to dance. It wasn't going to happen with me so far away, but... Luckily, the music traveled to me quite easily, and honestly, that's the most important thing. My boyfriend was not a Prince fan like I was. He sat down the whole time while I stood up having the time of my life. Looking back, that night was a big clue that we weren't going to work out. Four years later, I got to be in his presence again. It was during his One Night Alone tour. Prince stripped down his performance to the new Power Generation band and himself. As a belated present for my 25th birthday, I went by myself. He didn't play many of the obvious hits, much to the disappointment of the women who were sitting near me. I think they were Radio Prince fans and not full album Prince fans, you know? But for me, it was bliss. There was a moment in the show where it was just him and the piano, and it was beautiful. 
When it was just him playing solo, he would kind of let go. And if you closed your eyes, it was like imagining him playing something just for you. For all the instruments he could play, you could hear the guitar was his baby. When he launched into his guitar solos, you could see him lose himself and then come back into his body. He would make these ecstatic faces, like he was listening to a musical conversation he felt within his body. And then he would blink, and you could see him realize, there's a crowd of people watching me, and pull himself back into himself. He became present and moved on with the show, hitting his well-rehearsed cues. But for those precious moments, he left this world. And that transcendence was something I felt in my own body. It's a gift that stayed with me ever since. How amazing it must be to feel music so deeply, you are no longer aware of anything else around you. I felt both envy and awe. Prince on guitar was something divine. One of the best examples of this is from his live album, One Night Alone, The After Show, It Ain't Over, Up Late with Prince and the New Power Generation. In the opening track, Joy in Repetition, the song epitomizes Prince's skills as a guitar player. It features two extended guitar solos that demonstrate what it is like when Prince takes us to another world on stage. The first guitar solo comes after he sings the first verse. It's soulful and elegant and messy and hot. It's two minutes that is just sex. Then he goes into a guitar solo that's three minutes long, full of blues and rock and even more sex, but it's the sex fallen angels would have. I don't know how else to describe it. On stage, Prince walked that line of the spiritual and sexual. The ecstatic feeling is a full-body experience after all. And when you talk to musicians who worked with him, as well as observers of his stagecraft, these transcendent moments were not an accident. They were by design. And they were funky. This is The Prince Mixtape, and I'm your host, Nicole Perkins. In this episode, we're bringing you the funk, the whole funk, and nothing but the funk. I think he had a certain signature within the way that he presented things. And I think that that idea and that order was just always present, you know, just like it is in a person's personality. You know, you, you, you wear different clothes on different days, but you don't change the essence of who you are. This is one of Prince's longtime friends and collaborators, Patrice Russian. She is best known for her hit single, Forget Me Nots, from 1982. As a part of Prince's creative circle and a longtime fan of his music, Patrice has spent decades reflecting on what Prince did on stage. 
He always went for a certain kind of feeling. And no matter what the tempo of the song, no matter the delivery of the song in terms of who the artist might be or himself, he was going after a specific thing. And he was very, 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 very good at being able to land on that thing for that song. Mm. The emotion he wanted you to have as he was delivering it, he would determine, this is the button I'm trying to press right now. This is the thing I want you to feel right now. This is the idea I want for you to leave with. This is the ambience that I want in the room right now. And so much of that was predetermined. Her deep understanding of what Prince was doing with his music comes from a shared place. Like him, she was a musical phenom. Here's Patrice being interviewed for CNN's People Today in July 1982 on the heels of her first big hit as a singer-songwriter with Forget-Me-Nots. It all started with her love of the piano from a young age. I hate the word, but you were a child prodigy, weren't you? That's what they say. (laughs) At what age were you playing? I started playing when I was five. But before that, I had been involved in a special program at the University of Southern California for young kids from three to five. Come on, that's it. Gifted children, right? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Gifted. Isn't that nice? Patrice is a classically trained pianist who didn't originally want to be out front as a pop singer. Initially, she felt most excited about displaying her talents in the studio as a session musician who, like Prince, sang and played multiple instruments like guitar, flute, and drums. It was a few years earlier, in the late 1970s, when a mutual friend introduced Prince and Patrice. Patrice had already released three studio albums by 1977. Prince admired her music and asked for her help with string arrangements for the song Baby on his debut album For You, which came out in 1978. There were a couple of specific questions that he asked me, not about Baby, but about other things. What did you use on such and such a song? What what, what effect was that on blah, blah, blah? You know, it would be things like that on occasion where he would be curious as to how I achieved a certain uh, sound. But I think overall, just from the standpoint of musicality and the standpoint of artistic uh, connection, that was the primary attraction. He came to trust, and that was the biggest compliment that someone could pay me. I've definitely heard rumors that I Want to Be Your Lover was written for you. And I don't know if that means for you to perform or for you as inspired by because of a crush or what. So... Do you know what your influence was on that song, I Want to Be Your Lover? Well, I'm going to do what Prince would do. I'll let you guys figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll never know for sure. But if you listen to Patrice's song, Forget Me Nots, after listening to I Want to Be Your Lover, you might hear they're having a conversation with each other. Maybe that's why, when Prince was set to perform at Saturday Night Live's 15th anniversary show in September 1989, he called up Patrice. He called and said, I want you to play this show with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm going to do Saturday Night Live, their 15th anniversary show. I said, okay, what are you doing? He says, electric chair. So I said, okay, and I went to Minneapolis for rehearsal. This is the first time that I have played with him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's heard me, I've heard him, you know, years and years and years. And But this was the first time that we were actually in the same space 
playing together. I sang backgrounds and played piano. And when we went to the Saturday Night Live set, they had this bluish purple piano and my name was on it. And I was so surprised. Were you able to keep the piano? No, (laughs) just the pictures. (laughs) I really enjoyed that experience. And that was basically the closest that I got to being able to, you know, be on stage with him to feel that energy of him as a performer from a participant's perspective. I've been in the audience many times and and witnessed, you know, that energy, but it's different on the stage. What were some of those differences from being in the audience to being on stage with him? Well, one of the biggest ones, and it didn't come as a complete surprise, but he was very detailed in everything that looked spontaneous was not. Mm. And he had the capacity to blend the two together seamlessly so that it felt like everything was spontaneous. I'm not saying he wasn't spontaneous. He was very spontaneous. He had learned the art of being able to seize a moment and improvise and make it happen. But those moments were definitely punctuations in a very, very well-planned show. Mm. A very, very well-rehearsed and detailed idea that the presentation of his music was going to be clear and precise so you didn't miss it. Because that thing was crafted in such a way that everyone who came into his world adapted and absorbed a part of that thing. It was that clear. And he wanted it to be. Throughout his career, Prince often listed James Brown as one of his biggest influences. Brown had a reputation for being the hardest working man in show business. And that included the way he led his band. Was Prince a demanding band leader as well? Well, I think at that time he was still evolving as a leader. Mm. So as many things as I saw that showed good leadership, you know, he was still evolving. And sometimes the leaders sometimes forget how dependent they are on the other people to execute the idea so it fits well. And a maturity happens that allows for you to trust and be able to get the best out of your people. And I think that as time went on, he got better and better at that. That performance of Electric Chair on Saturday Night Live is one of his best and yet underrated performances that have been televised. And I wonder, why do you think it stands out so much? He didn't get that much television time in terms of his performance. His performance persona was probably more well-known for what you would have to see in the moment, live, in a concert hall or at a festival or wherever, an arena or wherever he was playing. We don't always get that in a television performance. And so you were able to get some of the raw energy in a, in a context where, you know, there were multiple takes and, you know, where they wanted it to happen. And he made it look like I did this once. Bang. You know? mm-hmm. As detail oriented as he was, Prince was still human. He had the same doubts and the same fears that we all have. He didn't display stage fright or anything like that on the stage, but off the stage. Just in terms of the kind of precision and the kinds of ways that he put things together, I would take a guess that there were moments of anxiety about how something was going to come off. And especially in the days when he was being very provocative and arguably provocative for the sake of being provocative. I think that he kind of shed a certain uh, idea that you had to come off a certain way in order to get a certain kind of attention. I saw a maturity. And when there were a couple of times where he needed advice or he needed another set of eyes or a set of ears, 
he sought me out to get it. And that, for me, is the biggest important aspect of our, uh, of our friendship. In fact, Prince turned to Patrice for guidance during the summer of 1984. This was right before the release of Purple Rain. As luck would have it, they were both in New York City at the same time. We happened to be staying in the same hotel. And he uh, called my room. He says, I'd love to see you. Can we talk? And I said, OK, when? He said, now. <laughs> so I said, I, I, did, I wasn't doing anything in that, at, that, at that moment. I said, OK. He says, the restaurant is closed. And I've told him to keep it closed because I, I really need to talk to you. I really think I've been off more than I could chew this time. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what are you talking about? He says, well, you know, the movie's coming out. I said, yeah, I know. I said, are you worried about something? And he said, uh, yeah. I said, did you do the best you could? He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, let it go. It's going to be all right. And he says, well, from your lips to God's ears. And I said, well, he's listening. <laughs> so I think it'll be okay. If you did your best and you feel good about it, then just now enjoy what is supposed to happen. It should be cool. And we all know what happened. And obviously Prince frequently talked about whether something was funky or not, and that the funk was one of the most important things to him. And funk, you know, sometimes it's hard for people to define. So, Patrice, what do you think makes something funky? And what do you think Prince's idea of funk was? The idea of something being funky is that it resonates with a certain kind of raw truth. And, you know, we associate a lot of times that which makes people move or dance or something like that with being funky. But sometimes funk is slow. You know, sometimes it can be that. One of the elements of funk is the use of space and the syncopation that allows for you to have to sit in that because the space is part of the music too. Hmm. It's not something necessarily that I think one can put into words. And you know what? I think that that's okay because I think that there's a lot about art you don't explain, which is why everybody can't do it. There's a lot about it that we don't talk about because there's a lot about it that is unexplainable. It just is. And that part of it is the fun. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about this stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. When I think about the Prince concerts I've gone to, I do not remember the set list very well. But I remember Prince's energy, his playfulness, the way he wanted to make sure the audience was fully present. I remember how he played with composition, gave us the songs we wanted to hear in new ways. That second time I saw him in New Orleans, as I remember it, there was just him with a piano and he played a song called Avalanche. 
The first verse includes an indictment of Abraham Lincoln. Prince writes, He was not, or never had been, in favor of setting our people free. If it wasn't for the 13th Amendment, we would have been born in slavery. Abraham Lincoln was a racist. Oh, yes, sir. In this song of censure, Prince's voice moved between hushed sensuality and the growls of gospel. I was once again in awe. He held us, the audience, in the palm of his hand. And when he eventually moved on to a more familiar song, Take Me With You from Purple Rain, it was like he snapped us all out of a trance. The mood was instantly lighter. The transition from Avalanche to Take Me With You was like Prince winking at us. Maybe he knew he had gone too deep and we needed to hear, I don't care, pretty baby, just take me with you. It brightened the mood for us all. And it showed that he needed us as much as we needed him. Back in 2004, Prince sat for an interview with CNN while on tour promoting the album Musicology. He gives an impassioned speech about the two-way emotional connection between him and the audience. And he also warns performers, do not bring pre-recorded music to a live concert just to play it back, to play it safe in front of the audience. Just don't do it. I think that's cool for the circus, you know. Trapeze artist has to catch the other person right on cue, but music is not like that. It should be organic and, and, and unexpected. Organic and unexpected. Two key parts of the funk. But as Prince's religious beliefs evolved, sometimes they conflicted with his unadulterated delivery of the funk. As he grew older, less rebellious and more religious, his song choices on stage began to change, especially after he became a Jehovah's Witness in 2001. No more irresistible bitch. No more head. No more darling Nikki. As a fan, I was distraught. How can you not perform these songs that mean so much to me, that brought me to you in the first place? Fans knew he'd stop playing these songs, but they didn't stop asking for them. People were shouting things to him in the audience. He was just like, you know, you asking for too much. Like, what are you, mm -mm, no, this is my, sh this is my show, this is your show. Like, what are we doing here? And people loved it. This is Kat Okadei. She was there the last time Prince played in the city of Baltimore back in May 2015. When Prince died, Kat was part of a collective of artists that put on a dance party to honor him. It was at U Street Music Hall in Washington, D.C. Like so many of us, Kat had been a Prince fan for as long as she could remember. But Baltimore was Kat's first time ever seeing Prince live. His playfulness on stage with his band and the audience has stayed with her ever since. And so when he's talking and he sounds like your Uncle Ray Ray, <laughs> he had jokes. But it was the kind of jokes that older people, when they think you're stupid, <laughs> they'll say stuff. The shade that he was throwing was like, it, he was right on time with it. The audience was bantering. He was bantering back. It was funny just to hear him say things like, mm -mm, you know, you're not going to get that tonight. So you just, just give it up. <laughs> we just give it up. And so just this conversation and the way that he's carrying, you know, these wayward folks just shouting things out. It was really unexpected. Even Prince's defense of his musical choices was funky. Shady, yes, but definitely still funky. 
it just feels like he's channeling something bigger than himself every time he, you know, got on stage, every time he created something. And so we should all try to do that. We should all think outside of ourselves and how we're creating. He's not creating music for you to like it. He's creating music because there's something in him that has to create. And the way that he got the crowd ramped up, the way that he commanded the crowd, this man was powerful. And it's just his way of commanding the stage, the musicians, the audience. He knew when to pull, when to push, and we just went along for the ride. Mm -hmm. He also showed that these old cats, they know how to work a stage. They understand performance in a way that I don't think, you know, not to sound like, you know, get off my porch, but I don't think a lot of the younger folks really get. Like that stage craftsmanship, everybody doesn't do that. And, you know, you saw that with the band. Everybody was completely in sync. When he said stop, they stopped. And this was at the point where, you know, from what we do know now after his death, that he was probably in pain the whole time at some point, you know, walking up and down on the stage. But he gave it. Like, you could tell that live performance for him was, that was his church. If seeing Prince perform in concert was like church, then attending one of his legendary after parties was a full-on tent revival. I got to see him in small clubs probably about a dozen times. This is Anil Dash. In addition to being an entrepreneur in tech, he is a dedicated Prince fan who has blogged extensively about Prince over the years. Of all the Prince shows he's been to in his life, it's the after parties that really stand out for him. They were intimate spaces of joy and abandon that emphasized what Prince could do with a band. And the invitation-only space gave him more freedom to be impulsive. Anil was at Prince's post-Oscars after-party in March 2009. Taraji Henson was there, and I think Alicia Keys was there. I mean, Queen Latifah was there. I mean, it was like, everybody is there, right? And he comes out and he does a set. He was probably two, two and a half hours, which is normal for like that kind of show for him. And he might have done three of his own songs. Mm. He covered the Stones. He covered the Cars. He covered Coolin' Gang. It was like a jukebox of like, if you put on the like, you know, Party Jam Spotify playlist, except he's playing them all live. And at one point he plays the opening chords to Purple Rain. You know, everybody's like, oh my God. And he goes, psych. And then he goes into another song. Like he's just like, nope, nope. <laughs> like that's not what we're doing tonight. I love it. I love it so much. Always the trickster. I never had enough juice or clout to go to one of these after parties, but they are the stuff of legend. There's one after party that, decades later, still stands out for Anil. It was in New York City in 2002. It was down in Times Square. And, you know, so everybody gets down there. And I was literally the last person led into the show. His trombone player, Greg Boyer, had kind of recognized me because I've been in the other stuff. And he's like, all right, you can come in with me. And then they closed the doors. Like, so I was like, got in. And, you know, again, the crowd is, it's Chris Rock. It's like, you know, everybody is there, right? And then that after show, after he's, he's already played easily five hours at that point. During that after show, it is George Clinton, Alicia Keys, Questlove, Dougie Fresh, Larry Graham, Music Soul Child. I'm not even going to remember everybody. That's just the guests. We spent nine hours with Prince that night. A lot of us. And he's playing the whole time. And like I said, any one of the guests he brought on stage would have been the highlight. And that's in the third show of the night. The stage was also where Prince showed rare moments of vulnerability when it came to his personal life. Like when his protege and ex-lover, Denise Matthews, better known as the singer-songwriter Vanity, died in February of 2016. 
This was two months before Prince's own death in April of that year. His last tour was a piano and microphone tour. It's like him, the piano, and his life story. And it was a much more vulnerable, emotionally open thing. He was directly talking about his life and talking about, for example, Denise Matthews, who had passed. You know, he'd alluded to, you know, all kinds of ladies over the years, but like he'd never sort of said by name, I loved her about anybody except for, you know, his his first wife. Like I had never heard anybody that he sort of said, oh, this song was about her. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a rare thing. And then he sang this version of Waiting in Vain and If I Was Your Girlfriend. And I was legit crying. I teared up. Like I was crying. I was like, this is incredible. On stage, Prince was a lot of things. He was impeccable with his craft, yet left room for impromptu moments. He was funny. He was shady. He was in control. He lost control. He was playful. He was emotionally raw. And all of this added up to something funky. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. been called one of the greatest, if not the greatest. Oh, but the last Super Bowl. Well, the halftime show, there's a lot of expectation. Greatest. Super Bowl halftime shows ever. I have that just blew your body away. a lot of these Super Bowl halftime show. I will talk about Prince's performance in 2007. Personally, oh, watching It was Prince. raining hard that night that was just, in the rain in Miami. That was just hard. It was in Miami. The benchmark for a lot of us who go to repeat Super Bowls and are lucky enough to be there. On February 4th, 2007, more than 104 million people watched Prince perform in a lightning storm at the 41st Super Bowl halftime show. I'm biased, of course, but it is the greatest halftime performance in Super Bowl history. I had no idea what to expect. After the 2004 halftime wardrobe malfunction seen around the world featuring Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson, the NFL stressed a family-friendly show. Now, Prince may have updated his relationship with God and religion, but I still wasn't sure he'd count as family-friendly. So picture it. February 2007 in Miami, Florida. And for the first time in Super Bowl history, it's pouring down rain. It's the kind of miserable Gulf Coast rain that makes you want to stay inside with a mug of hot tea and a good book. But Prince isn't phased. In fact, when the producer of the halftime show checks in with Prince to see if he's worried, Prince famously replies, can you make it rain harder? Prince had a show to do, and in the spirit of his song 1999, like the lion in his pocket, baby, he was ready to roar. The show opens with simulated lightning strikes from the clouds above the stadium, as if a god was about to make his presence known. And sure enough, Prince emerges from underneath the stage. 
The stage itself is carved in the shape of his signature androgynous love symbol. There he is, in a turquoise suit, orange shirt, and a black scarf tied around his hair to keep his pompadour, his typhoon he liked to call it, intact. He looked so cool, the epitome of black cool. He opens with, let's go crazy, and the wind is whipping rain all over the place. Prince plays an electric guitar. I hold my hands to my face, worrying we'd see a terrible accident. But Prince goes through his set list like he performs in the rain in heels every day of his life. The rain is a tool Prince uses, heightening the drama of his guitar solos while he remains relatively untouched by it. His face is damp, but you can hardly see any rain on his clothes or, more importantly, on the rush of curls peeking out from his headscarf. When he gets to the finale song, Purple Rain, he tosses off the scarf and smooths down his hair with a slick flourish of his hand that's just spectacular. He flicks the scarf into the audience, and I still feel jealous of whoever caught it. When he gets to the guitar solo of Purple Rain, a giant curtain unfurls and billows behind him, throwing him in silhouette. To the 74,000 people in the stadium and the millions watching at home, the stage projection of Prince makes him look 10 times his natural height. He now plays a purple guitar, also shaped like the love symbol. His shadow sometimes looks a bit naughty, with the pointed shafts of the guitar positioned to look decidedly not family-friendly. As the song heads to its end, Prince pulls the stadium audience into that call and response he loves. He shouts, I can't hear you, coaxing them to sing along. And when they do, he throws the microphone stand to the ground in a moment of spiritual punctuation and raises his hand to direct us all. This is our purple band leader, singing and shredding and holding revival in the rain. Prince hated when people referred to his music as magic. As Prince says in his memoir, funk is the opposite of magic. Funk is about rules, and the rules of funk are either it is or it ain't. I'm so glad I got to see Prince perform as many times as I did. It's easy for me to say you've missed out on one of the greatest performers of all time if you've never seen Prince in concert. But honestly, it's true. But if you never got to see Prince live, you can still go watch some of his stage recordings. For his production prowess, check out the concert movie Sign of the Times. For his raw magnetism, Prince and the Revolution Live, recorded in Syracuse, New York. For his determination to get things right, the bootleg video of the rehearsal footage from his band in 1984. When Prince was on stage, he blended sex and sensuality, spirituality and religion, discipline and spontaneity in his music. He knew that if he wanted his audience to open up to him, he'd have to be vulnerable as well. Through his lyrics, storytelling, and body movement. He poured everything he could into his work. Maybe performing for audiences helped recharge him, 
Maybe all of us screaming and crying and laughing with him let him know that his rough upbringing, the predatory contracts, and the uncomfortable interviews were all worth it. Next week on The Prince Mixtape, we explore the light and shadows of Prince, from his activism to his complicated relationships with women. The Prince Mixtape is produced by CNN Audio and Pineapple Street Studios. It's hosted by me, Nicole Perkins. Our producers are Emmanuel Hapsis, Beandria July, and Natalie Brennan. Our managing producer is Aaron Kelly. Our editor is Darby Maloney. Mix and original music by Hannes Brown. Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija. And our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks. At CNN, our senior producer is Felicia Patinkin, and our executive producer is Abby Fintress-Swanson. Nicole Pesaru and Jameis Andres designed our artwork. Executive producers for Pineapple Street Studios are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Special thanks to Noah Camuso, Hannah Park, Katie Hinman, Tamika Balance-Kalosny, Sonia Tun, Chip Grabo, Anissa Gray, Frank Lomonti, Steph Garrett, Graham Duda, Andrea White, Lindsay Abrams, Robert Mathers, Lisa Namaro, Kira Posey, and John Dianora. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.